So today, uh, what our lesson is going to be, we are in 2 Kings, we're going to be in chapter 4, and we're going to continue to learn about the prophet Elisha, who took over for Elijah, and he had big big shoes to fill. Elijah, um, God called him to do a great many things and to represent him in a lot of ways, and Elisha is going to have to do um, a lot of work for the Lord as well, because the the people of Israel have wandered far from the truth that God's tried to teach them in the way that God wants them to behave. And so Elisha still has to continue working and bring the message to Israel of who God is and what God wants them to do and, and to try to get them to be repentant for their sins. And it's a, it is definitely an uphill battle. But one of the things I think we should remember through this is that as bad as Judah and Israel were, and as few kings as there were that actually followed God, the great majority of them didn't follow God and were disobedient and behaved in a very ungodly way. God did not turn aside from them. He didn't forget about them. He didn't say, oh, well, I guess we'll just let them run off and do whatever they're going to do. God continued through his prophets and through some of the faithful people to try to get them to do what they're supposed to do. And that carries through with us today where... We, we may sometimes behave badly and do some things that we shouldn't do, but we shouldn't get to that point where we think God's just going to give up on us because God, God never gives up on, on anyone. If you will turn to God, he will forgive you, and he will take you back, and he will lead you on the path that he's chosen for you. But we have to make that choice. And so we're going to look at a couple different examples today of God's power through the prophet Elisha and how God was still reaching out to Israel and showing them that he is the Lord God Almighty, that he's the creator of heaven and earth, and that he still has the power to do what it is that he wants to do. So we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 18 to 35. And to kind of set this up, Elisha had been called to the, the town of Shunem, which is in the part of the promised land that was given to the tribe of Issachar. And there's a couple that befriended Elisha and they fed him they actually gave him a room in their house they set up a bed and everything for him and he developed this close relationship with them and this couple did not have children and so um, because of Elisha working with them and God's love for them and God wanting to do something for them God gives them a son and they didn't ask for the son but God gives them a son and they were very pleased to have a son because you've if you think about that in that culture, that was an important thing, is to have heirs and to have a son um, and to pass on all of those things. And sometimes God withheld children from couples for various reasons. And we've seen that in lots of places in the Bible. This is one of those where, again, God did this in this way to show his power and his, his mercy for people. Um, so where we're going to pick up is this son of the Shunammites, um, this couple, is grown. So we're in 2 Kings chapter 4. Um, I'm going to read verses 18 to 35. When the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father, to the reapers. He said to his father, My head, my head. And he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat in her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and return. 
He said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It will be well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, there is the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came near to her to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is troubled within her, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him, and if anyone salutes you, do not answer him, and lay my staff on the lad's face. The mother of the lad said, As the Lord lives and as, your, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her. Then Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the lad's face, but there was no sound or response. So he returned to meet him and told him, The lad has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he entered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself on him and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth and went up and stretched it out and stretched himself on him. And the lad sneezed seven times and the lad opened his eyes. So it's a, a pretty interesting story of Elisha and this couple that he got to know well who had the son and, and this woman's faith. And so it, it doesn't say, you know, by calling him a lad, you know, it says the child was grown, but I don't think he's grown like 18. He might be like five or six, but it's this child. And something happens to him where he dies. And that's, that's a really tragic thing. To have a child die is, is a horrible thing. How does this woman react? When, when her child dies, she, she did. And she, she told her husband that it, it would be fine. But the normal thing, and think about the Jewish tradition of if you, if you are Jewish and you're ceremonial, ceremonially clean and you touch a dead body, you become unclean. And there are some things you have to do to become clean again there's time and offerings and things and so she was holding him but you know she doesn't do all the normal things that you would do with someone who's died she takes him up and puts him when it says the man of God this is Elisha's bed where he would stay when he was in Shunem with this couple um, and then so it, to me it just shows her great faith in God and in how God works through the prophet Elisha because her son dies she doesn't say, okay, you know, God has taken my son. We're going to have to get him ready to be buried. I need to get ceremonial clean. We have to do all these things to bury my son. Her thought is, I'm going to go get Elisha the prophet and ask God to bring my son back. And so she goes through all these things. And her, her husband tries to dissuade her. You know, he says, well, what are you doing? It's not, why do you, her husband's thinking, why do you want to see the man of God? It's not time to do an offering or to do with the festivals or the feasts or anything. Why do you want the man of God? 
he doesn't get that she wants Elisha to try to bring her son back to life. And that's the hope that she has. And so, you know, I think she has a good understanding that God has power over life and death and that God can raise people from the dead if he chooses to. And so that's what she does is she runs to the man of God. She has to go all the way to Mount Carmel. So she saddles up a donkey and rides his donkey and goes. And when Elisha sees her coming and he recognizes her, what does Elisha do? Sends his man out, his servant Gehazi, because Elisha knows that if this woman is traveling like this in this hurry, coming all by herself, there must be something wrong. And so he sends Gehazi out, but she won't even tell Gehazi. She wants to go straight to Elisha, and she wants to talk to Elisha. And, and Elisha acknowledges that God hasn't told him what's happening. And as the prophet, whom God spoke through and spoke to and let know what was happening and what he's supposed to be doing, you know, Elisha's acknowledging that, where he says, you know, God's hidden it from me. God didn't let me know that they were in trouble. God didn't tell me to go find them. She's coming to find him. And so, um, you know, Elisha, when she lets Elisha know what's happening, that her son has died, that it's not all, she's saying it's all well, but it's not all well, is he sends his, um, his servant ahead, Gehazi, and tells him what to do, but that doesn't revive the boy. So, when Elisha gets there, he goes through, and, and God has, you know, God throughout Scripture, we see different places where God raises the dead. And he doesn't always do it in the same way. Why do you think that is? Because it's not a formula. It's the same way that Christ healed different people. He healed lepers several times, but in different ways. He brought sight to the blind for different people different ways. Because it's helping us as we read the Bible understand that there's not a magic formula, right? There's not some thing that we do because as people, if there were, like if you're going to bake a cake you follow a recipe, right? And it turns out, and so God doesn't want us to think there's a recipe for bringing someone back to life because as people, what would we try to do? We would try to follow that recipe and do it all the time. It just right? That's, that's how we are. We want to try to do those things. That's, I think, why as people we, we find it so hard to not want to, you know, when we do good works, to do them because God's called us to do them, not because we're earning our way to heaven. And that's just one of those things that the Bible tells us is true, but it's hard for us not to think that way. And so he's you know, just doing it in a different way. And it takes time, doesn't it? Because God could have immediately raised the child back to life. But Elisha here, I think, shows his patience in knowing that what God wants him to do and following that. But this, um, this young man is, is brought back to life. Um, and it's, it's more or less done in, in a private thing as well. Because God doesn't want this to be a big showy thing. God is just wanting to do this for the people to see. Christ did the same thing in, in, in Mark chapter 5, where there's a young girl, um, and we're not going to have time to turn there and read through that, but Christ does the same thing, where this um, one of the believer's daughters dies, and so Christ goes to them, but he just takes two of the disciples, and they go up in the room, and he, he raises this little girl back to life. In that case, it's Jesus who is part of the triune God, so Jesus is doing it himself, Elisha was doing it through the power of God. God's doing it, but Elisha is playing his part in this. But it's just one of those things, I think, that this just shows 
how much faith someone can have in God and what God can do is that she didn't just, you know, think, okay, well, my son is dead. She wanted to know if God could bring him back to life. And she recognized that Elisha, as the prophet for the people, would be able to maybe talk to God and that God may be able to use him to do that. And so it's just one of those ways that God uses Elisha to show the Israelites that he is still all-powerful, that he can raise people from the dead. But that requires this great faith to come to God and to ask him, God, and to believe that what we're asking him to do, that if it's in his will, he will do it. The second thing we're going to look at is um, how Elisha, through the power of God, provides for people. So we're going to be in 2 Kings. I'm going to read verses 42 to 44. So at, at this time, there's a great famine in the land. God had, had brought a famine to try to get the people to come back to him and to repent from their sins. And so food is in very short supply. And um, when this man comes with this food, it's a big deal because not many people have very much food. So now a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And he said, give them to the people that they may eat. His attendant said, what? Will I set this before a hundred men? But he said, give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. It is. So there are two times in the New Testament where Christ feeds lots of people. In Mark, um, it's Mark chapter 6 is where he feeds the 5,000, and Mark chapter 8 is where he feeds the 4,000. But what are some similarities? Because I think we're very familiar with those stories. What are the similarities between this story and, and those stories with Christ in the New Testament? God does provide in an amazing, miraculous way. He does take a little bit and expands it. And, and did the disciples react to the same way in Christ that this attendant of Elisha reacts? Right? And this way, it's kind of sarcastic. He's saying, what, am I, am I going to take this and give it to 100 people? Is that going to work? And, and Elisha has to remind him and say, you know, this is what God said. God says, feed the people with this. And so... Um, that's exactly what happens. It's this miracle of God where we see that God is, is the great provider. And, you know, again, we talk about faith where this, this man who comes from a city named after, you know, one of the false gods, Baal, um, and food is in short supply. It's a famine. Yet he brings his first fruits. So, so how do first fruits play into Old Testament and, and the laws that God had the people follow? tithing it's the offering god went you know god required the jewish people to bring first fruits of everything those were the offerings that they were supposed to bring and how did that work did they just take it wherever they were supposed to take it to the temple so they would bring it to the priests remember the levites were not ever given you know they weren't given land and lived on what god provided them through the sacrifices the peace offerings and the sin offerings of the people and, you know, this, this was all, you know, the time we're in now, the tribes have split. And, and Israel and Judah, for the most part, have not been following God and are not doing things in a God-honoring way. And, you know, remember we talked about um, with Jeroboam, who became the king over the ten tribes of Israel. And he was worried that, you know, if he let his people 
go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, they wouldn't come back or they would overthrow him as king. And so he set up his own golden calves in two places and just started really sending things that way. So at this point in time, someone who lives in, in the t- 10 tribes of Israel, things are so messed up. They may not know really what they are supposed to do. But this man has this faith and he knows even though it's tough times and there's a famine, God has called him as a faithful Israelite to bring his first fruits. And so he has faith in knowing that Elisha will know what to do with this offering. Because remember the other thing that Jeroboam did was he made people other than Levites priests. So he kind of dismantled everything that God had set up for his rules and his laws. And so Elisha in this case is, you know, this man is bringing him the first fruits. And so Elisha knows really what God wants the people to have as food. And so he shares it with, um, with these people. And it's this man has this faith knowing that if I go to this prophet of God and I offer God my first fruits through the man of God, it's, it's kind of like it's the best thing that he can do because nothing is working as it should, you know, through the laws that God gave in the Pentateuch. It just shows, again, that there's this faith, one, that this man who's living amongst all the people who are not being obedient and are not offering first fruits and the offerings and things that God has called them to do, he's doing that, and then God does that, God takes that, and he blesses the people that are there through a miracle where he just takes, you know, the, the 20 loaves and, and the fresh ears of grain in his sack, and, and he feeds at least 100 people here. So just another example of how God loves his people and he can provide what they need. Even in a time of great need, God's able to provide what they need through, through some miraculous ways. And, and we need to remember when God's asking us to do something with what we don't think is anywhere near enough resources, but God's asking us to do that that we are faithful in God and we act in that faithful way and follow through with what he's asking us to do. When you think about your own finances, you know, sometimes things get short, especially inflation is going up, gas is expensive, everything's getting more expensive. So not only do we as individuals have more need, but the church has need, the people of the church, the people of our community have need. And so we need to step out in faith in these times and remember that God will take care of us. And we might not have everything we want. We might have to cut back. We might have to do some things differently. But we need to honor God and use our resources, you know, and not just dollars and things that we own, but our own time to be generous with that. Because we, we cannot outgive God. God will always supply us our needs. And God uses us as his hands and feet on the earth. That's really part of being people of God and acting in a godly way is doing things for people on earth. Just like Elisha is doing these things and showing the power of God and, and helping people see this is what you're supposed to do is take these things and, and use them for, for the greater good of God. The last part we're going to look at here um, is how God heals someone who's a leper with his power through Elisha. And so we're going to pick up in 2 Kings chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. So 2 Kings 5, starting in verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the army, the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, 
but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. When he returned to the man of God with all his company and came and stood before him, he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so please take a present from your servant now. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So, interesting story about um, God working through Elisha and this king and how different people react to the situation. So, Naaman is this great warrior, and, and he's you know a captain of the army for the king of Aram, and he goes out, and, and God has made him very successful. So, He's successful in many ways, but he has a problem. He's a leper, which you guys, I think everybody knows leprosy is a skin disease that really there's no cure for, and it eventually eats up. You know, it starts and it eats your tissue until it eats all of your, it eats your body away until you finally die from it. Um, and so, you know, part of what we've been talking about today is faith. And, and when you look at the first part of the story, so we have this, this captain of the army, Naaman, and they, they're out raiding and doing things, and they take this young Israelite girl as a slave, and so he's, she is serving his wife um, in his house. So this little girl has been taken away, and she's a slave girl, and, and that can't be a very good thing. But, but what does she do for her master? What does she say that spurs all of this? 
Right, and, and, and it's interesting how she puts it. So even though she's not probably in a very good situation, um, she still is a kind-hearted person and I think has that love of God and that faith in God and in the prophet Elisha because she says, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. So this little girl, you know, knows that this man has leprosy, wants, you know, even though he captured her, drug her off from her house, and now she's a, a servant in his house, she still wants to heal him, and she knows and has faith that God could heal him, and that if he would go talk to Elisha, maybe God would do that. And, and I'm sure Naaman doesn't want to have leprosy. No, nobody wants leprosy, and, you know, especially something you can't cure. So he wants to, he's like, well, if this girl says that guy can do it, I want to go get that taken care of. So he goes and tells his king, and so his king says, well, yeah, you should be cured of leprosy. If they can do it, we'll do that. Well, you know, I'm going to have my king talk to your king. <laughs> but how does the king of Israel react when, um, and so Naaman shows up, and he doesn't come empty-handed, right? What did he take with him? Gold and silver and ten changes of clothes, which to you and I sounds kind of funny, but back in the day, clothing was very valuable and very important because it was very expensive and hard to make, and only King Solomon had probably a big walk-in closet of clothes. You know, how many of us have walk-in closets full of clothes that we hardly ever wear, right? We have special outfits for everything, right? We have hunting outfits and hiking outfits and work clothes and church clothes and go to the beach clothes. These people, if they were lucky, they had two changes. They had what they were wearing and then another one they could wash and get clean before they had to change things out. So bringing 10 changes of clothes, that was a sign, that was a nice gift. That was, that was something very special. So Naaman shows up and, he, and they're thinking that, well, this king has the power to do this or whatever magic formula will take care of this. But how does the king of Israel react? They are. He's, he's afraid. He's like, why are they asking me to do this impossible task? Now, in reality, is it impossible for the king of Israel to cure the leprosy? It surely is. But the king of Israel, if he acted like a true king of Israel and a follower and believer and lover of God, what should that king have done? Sent for Elisha, or even what would King David have done? I think King David would have fallen on his knees and prayed and asked God for guidance and say, God, this man has come, and I don't know if he means harm or, you know, it looks like he doesn't mean harm. He's bearing gifts. I want to help him out. What do I need to do? But obviously this king is not, he's worried about, you know, they've asked me to do an impossible task so that I can't do it so that they have a reason to come wage war on us or pillage and take things. And so he's not thinking in a right mind. But how does God have Elisha intervene? Because the king doesn't send for Elisha either, does he? It just says that, um, you know, when Elisha heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. So Elisha hears... Something's going on. I probably better go figure out and help them because the king these days is not a godly king and he's not going to do the right thing. So as the prophet of God, I better go figure out what's happening. And that's what Elisha does. And Elisha hears and Elisha knows that God is willing to cure this man in however God chooses. And again, God cured leprosy in lots of different ways. So how did God choose to cure the leprosy of Naaman in this case. Yeah. 
go, go, go wash in the river seven times. She did, and I think that's a little lesson for us when we have a problem and we go to God and we pray to God, God, please solve this problem for me. And maybe it's because your car's broken down. And what you're thinking is, God's going to give me a new car. And the way God fixes it is that your buddy, who's a good mechanic, comes over and goes, oh, your battery connections are corroded. Let me clean those up with a can of Pepsi, and look, your car works. And now you're mad because God didn't give you a new car, <laughs> right? Sometimes as people, that's how we think, is we, we get in our mind, we know what our problem is, and we know how to fix it. Why doesn't God just come and do that? Well, because God is God, and God knows the best way to solve things, and what we really need And your car still works. It's just your old car that still might have some problems, but it gets you down the road. And this is what Naaman is thinking. Naaman is a great warrior. He is a battle captain of Aram, and he's used to conquering. And when he says jump, people ask how high. When he sends his men into battle, they don't shirk. They go and fight. And so he's expecting some kind of big showy thing. And he says that, you know, I thought he would come and call on the Lord his God and there'd be thunder and light. You know, this is, he's expecting a big show. And does Elisha even talk to him? No. He sends his messenger out and says, hey, you know, Elisha, the prophet of God, says, go, you know, wash in the Jordan River seven times. So, so he's mad because it's, you know, he wants his problem solved, but he wants it fixed the way he wants it fixed. And, and that's not what God has in mind. But luckily, through the providence of God, what does Naaman have? Servants who are brave enough, right, and wise enough to go, hey, boss. You know, if, if he would have asked you, right, because maybe Naaman's thinking, well, maybe if, if, if the prophet, you know, God says, I'll cure you of your leprosy if you'll, you know, march your army here and do this and capture this and do all these, oh, well, I can do that. And all God's saying is, well, go, go jump in the river seven times. Because it doesn't even really wash when he actually gets cured, right? He says he dips himself. But Naaman kind of buries his pride and goes, yeah, you're right. Maybe I should do that. <laughs> and he does, and he gets cured. And, you know, it, he begrudgingly has this faith in, I guess, trusting God. But when it works, he does the right thing. In a way, as he comes back to Elisha, and he acknowledges um, here towards the end, he says, um, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. He's acknowledging that God is the Lord God Almighty, you know, the King of Kings. He is the God. Right, and that was part of, I think, what Naaman got mad about was he didn't even get to see the prophet. It's kind of like, you know, oh, go take care of this. This is such a low-level thing. I don't have to worry about that. It did. And in a way, it kept him from, kept this, you know, Naaman from thinking that Elisha had the power. And now, how many of you have your study guides? What does it say the title of today's lesson is? And I didn't like that. Did you guys think there was something wrong with that when the title of the lesson is Elisha's power? Yes. So that's why, as I've been teaching today, I've been talking about God's power through the prophet Elisha. Because Elisha doesn't actually have the power 
God has the power. What, what, is the, what is the power that Elisha has? Pardon me? God. But what, what does Elisha have control over? His choices. We have the same power that Elisha has. We can choose to follow God or not follow God. We can choose to love God and flee from evil and do the right thing. Or we can be sinful because in our fleshly bodies here on earth, many times acting in a sinful way makes us physically feel good. We like it. We enjoy sinning many times. And that's why we do it, even though we know it dishonors God. But we have that choice just like Elisha has that choice. We have, if you think about it, as believers... We have the very same power that Elisha has. We can call on the Lord God Almighty. We can seek his counsel, and we can follow his advice. We actually, you know, it's, it's just part of that whole thing we're looking at today is really all these things that Elisha is doing, he's doing through the power and the direction of God. And we have the same power and direction of God. Elisha uh, had the Spirit of God upon him. Do we have the Spirit of God upon us as believers? We do. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We have that advantage where if we are in a right relationship with God as believers and we study, that is a strong relationship and we can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit that moves us to do the things that God is directing us to do. It's a little different, I think, than Old Testament times, but it's that same idea. Mm -hmm. It is. And I think many times very... Um, faithful believers are faithful, strong believers because they wouldn't believe for a long time and they fought God and then God got them to a place where they finally submitted and they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior and then they become a very strong witness for God because they really understand and I think maybe that's where this is and Naaman still wants to in a way, because he still doesn't you know doesn't understand completely because as people many times we're very transactional if you're going to do something for me i gotta i gotta pay you i have to do something for you you know if 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 you're going to give me you know if you have apple trees and i have pear trees if you're going to give me a bunch of apples i have to give you pear. it's that we have this very transactional nature about us and this is kind of what Naaman is operating on where he really wants to give elisha these gifts but elisha refuses doesn't he and I think, again, it's because of maybe a little bit of what um, Mary Lou was saying, is that Elisha doesn't want Naaman to think that, like, this is his business. This is what he does to make a living, that you can buy these things. And I don't know that Naaman, it doesn't say that Naaman was trying to do that, but I think definitely God in this part of Scripture is trying to help us understand that God did this through the direction that Elisha gave Naaman so that... Um, he could be saved and see the power of God. And God sets a lot of these things up. And so I think we should remember that. When someone does something nice for you, it's okay to say, thank you very much, I really appreciate that, and, and accept that they have done something nice for you. You don't have to turn right around and do something nice for them. Somebody just wants to take you out to lunch because they want to take you out to lunch. Let them be a good Christian brother or sister and take you out to lunch. So when, you know, God calls us to do those things. So, so if people want to do those things for you, be humble and accept that and, and understand they're wanting to do it um, so that they're honoring God. He did. And that was when he originally came. That's what Mary Lou was saying, was he came with lots of wealth. 
to pay for this treatment, but it turns out that that wasn't really what God's plan was, because that's not how God operates. God does things for us because he loves us. God doesn't keep a tally book that says, okay, I've done these things for you, now you have to do these things for me, and that's not how God works. God God does things for us because he loves us, and he wants us to do things for him because we love and honor him and we're obedient to him. And that's how we show God our love is that we are obedient and do what he calls us to do. And, and part of the other thing that I think you can get from this is what was the cure f- from leprosy? Super simple, wasn't it, in this case? Wasn't hard to do. You just go do it. What is the gift of salvation? How is one saved? Yes, you have Acts 31, you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you believe, you're saved. If you just go dip yourself in the Jordan seven times, you're clean. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are saved. And I think that's another lesson in here is the cure is what God says it is. And and in the case of being forgiven your sins, it's accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. And you're saved. And then the really hard part starts, because now, if you've submitted yourself to Christ, now you're supposed to live as a Christian, and you're supposed to obey, which means, you know, when people cut you off in traffic, you're not supposed to yell and scream and and charge up on them, as you're supposed to say, okay, I'm going to just back off and drive and follow the rules and understand that whatever reason that person had for doing that, I'm not going to engage in that behavior. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, that even though you really want to go go see the football game instead you're going to go help with the work day at the church because the church needs some things done or you know someone who really needs a visit but you really don't have time because you're behind at work and if you don't go do all these things but instead you take the time and you go and you visit that person and that's you know all of those things that when we are obedient and we are giving of ourselves by sacrificing that is loving god that's how we show god our love is is we do what he asks us to do. And, and the simple way to think about that is he asks us, you know, we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. So all of the things that we choose to do, if we're not doing those two things, we should, as believers, step back and think a little bit about, okay, well, I know what I really want to do, but I know what I should do. And that's the working of the Holy Spirit. And that's the reason, I think, why God gave us the Holy Spirit is that little voice inside us it's the Holy Spirit that's saying, uh, should you really go do that? I know you really want to go do that, but this other thing really needs to be taken care of. And even though it's not your favorite thing to do, or you really had other plans, you should really go and, and do that. But um, I think, you know, these, these stories of Elisha the prophet and, and what he's done through God's power, I think are just good examples for us to remember that God's always there and God can do amazing things, but we have to make those choices for him and we have to represent him well and um, we need to remember those things. And that God takes care of what God needs to take care of in the way he sees fit. And it might not be exactly what we want and it might be actually something really pretty easy, but when it happens that way, we need to just trust in God and accept him and move forward in that. Anybody have any questions or comments before we wrap up? 
Right, and that's just these, these situations and circumstances that God arranges to get people to where they're in the circumstance or the situation where they will, they have the choice. Again, we all have a choice to make. Every day we make choices, and we can choose to be obedient to God or not be obedient to God. And so we just have to remember that is the power that we have is the choices that we make and how, how we live our lives. We should return the love of God and be obedient to him. So, All right, we'll go ahead and close in prayer.